Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and the uncertainties facing investors today. Today's episode is on core and core plus fixed income. I'm Tom Fisher, head of the consultant strategy team in the Americas, and with me today are Barb Miller, head of U.S. value-driven strategy, and Steve Lear, head of the macro strategy within our GFIC group, all for J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Welcome to J.P. Morgan Insights. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. The low interest rate environment in the U.S. is really starting to revive activity in the core and core plus fixed income space, and we're seeing hearty search activity in that space. It's largely a result, I think, of the fact that predicting the path of interest rate normalization, especially if you're using inflation as a guiding light, has proven to be extremely challenging. Institutional investors, as a result, are now seeking strategies to navigate the bond market uncertainty and this volatility, especially if they count themselves among those that move towards unconstrained investing paired with cash about three to five years ago, and that they now realize that these investments were not able to provide the ballast that they needed during periods of market volatility. One way to navigate this uncertainty may be by looking again at the core of one's fixed income portfolio to judge whether or not it offers stability, diversification, and income. Barb, since we're coming off our macro strategy session, what is the expected demand for core strategies? Tom, I think that the demand for an active core bond strategy will increase. When you look at clients and what they have been through over the past year or so with the volatile markets and underperforming asset classes, I do think that there will be a greater need for a core bond managed type portfolio that gives you that foundation, that solid, stable foundation that you can then build extended sectors off of to complement. There are a lot of things that were taken as truths in years past. China can generate any growth level it wants. Interest rates have to rise. The U.S. consumer will always borrow money to spend. And what we're finding now is that some of these truths are in question. And because people had held these views, as you said, Tom, they moved out of core bonds and into cash, or they went into unconstrained. And then when volatility came earlier this year, their portfolio returns were more volatile than they were comfortable with. And because of that, we are seeing money flow back out of cash and unconstrained into core and core plus strategies. Core, which is essentially investment grade only, offers you the better ballast, whereas core plus with a higher income level, thanks to extended sectors, can give you the opportunity to have smoother portfolio returns in one's portfolio with a little bit better income than core. Thanks, Steve. So it is possible for actively managed core and core plus solutions to be an effective answer for fixed income portfolios seeking to address the challenges of investing in today's environment, especially when it comes to diversifying a fixed income portfolio in a market that has become increasingly complex and where it's not easy to replicate the index on your own. So Barb, how do you squeeze then more value out of a core portfolio so you get lower volatility and interest rate risk, but the higher returns higher than the overall fixed income market? Really, it comes down to how the portfolio is built. 
A core bond manager should look at diversification as a key component of the overall portfolio. And that would be using a security selection and the relative value analysis that they put into it. Some of those areas would be the mortgage-backed securitized space, where you could be looking at asset backs, and in some regards, sub or subprime. You could be looking at agency dust paper, which is a surrogate now for agency path-throughs or CMOs. Spreads have tightened in that particular sector of the market, so it's a place to find value. In the credit space, core bond managers have been inundated with new issuance in the marketplace. So that's one area they can look to add value in the portfolios, but they can also go into the secondary marketing credit and pick up a lot of yield and spread, also gaining a favorable curve positioning. One of the areas that most people don't think about finding value in is the treasury sector. And I think there is value there, particularly in long-dated strips, where you can eke out a couple basis points here or there over the use of treasury coupons. And then the other place to find value is in your curve positioning within the portfolio. You can underweight and overweight particular parts of the curve and choose and pick where you're finding relative value in that regard. An example would be we underweight the short end of the curve and the 30-year part of the curve, which we feel is trading very rich, but we overweight the belly of the curve, which is the 5 to 10-year area, and the 20 to 25-year area. And that, again, is just a relative value play, and it changes slowly over time. I'd say certainly, Barb raises an excellent point. Going out of the index in order to find more attractive opportunities is part and parcel of what core plus bond managers do every day. Right now, actually, you can look at yields globally and you would say the U.S. offers relatively attractive yields to comparable quality countries and where their yields are now because our central bank is raising interest rates while other central banks are actually printing money to buy their government's bonds. So yes, today the U.S. is attractive, but over the course of a market cycle, we've seen times when other developed markets, government bonds, have similar credit quality and much higher yields. And that offers us an opportunity to enhance yield, again, over a market cycle by having that flexibility to go out of the benchmark. It doesn't have to be just developed markets. It can be emerging market government bonds. Barb talked about going out of index in order to own securitized investments. But even so, core bond managers tend to stick at the AAA level, whereas in core plus space, a manager can roll up their sleeves, do deep credit analysis, and find where within the capital structure is the most attractive risk-adjusted return. Generally, it's investment grade. It may even be sub-investment grade. And that certainly leads to the biggest area where core plus managers invest, which is high yield, whether it's in emerging market issuers or whether it's U.S. corporate high yield issuers. And depending on clients' preferences, we can even invest in the distressed sector of the market for more equity-like returns during the period of the cycle when there's limited liquidity there and the opportunity set is wider. These are all different places where we can go again, at different times in the market cycle in order to find attractive opportunities relative to just those securities which are in the benchmark. With the bar cap ag yielding about five and a quarter percent year to date, 
what advantage does active management afford over passive for you specifically in the core plus space? And I'm thinking about characteristics like security selection, duration, et cetera. It's an excellent question, Tom, and it's one that's near and dear to my heart. I really don't understand why anyone would invest passively in the bond market. First of all, the aggregate is 9,000 different securities, and your aggregate index fund doesn't own them all. So it's not really an index fund. It's a proxy. And then after fees, you're almost guaranteed a return below the aggregate. When you invest in an active fund, we have the opportunity to do what we do best, which is to segregate out all these different securities and say, which borrowers, which bonds are fundamentally the weakest and which are the best? And we can zero weight on none of the issuers that we don't want to be invested in and concentrate our security analysis on the best issuers. So in this low rate environment, if a core plus bond manager can add a half to 1% incremental return over the benchmark yield of 2%, that's actually pretty significant in a world where inflation is only one and cash is actually closer to zero. Yeah, and I agree with Steve. I think in this marketplace, it's really important as a core manager to be able to use an active strategy versus passive because it allows us to offer clients the active security selection that goes into finding relative value in the marketplace, as well as using many of the out-of-index securities that Steve mentioned are not available to a passive portfolio. Can you give me an example? If you were in a passive core mandate, you would probably be buying in the agency pass-through TBA markets, a strategy that I believe an active manager would employ would be using agency CMOs or agency dust paper, which is actually part of the commercial mortgage-backed real estate sector. So it's definitely an opportunity, particularly in the mortgage and asset-backed and CMBS space, to choose out-of-index type securities. And within Core Plus, we can go internationally, and we don't necessarily have to invest in U.S. dollar, if a team believes that the U.S. dollar is in a weakening trend, they can actually take advantage of issuers from overseas and have the benefit of that currency exposure. So greater tools for managers in active space. That's great. Thank you. I want to shift gears a little bit now. Barb, I'll start with you and just say that the regulatory environment has touched every aspect of the investment management business today. How has an enhanced regulatory oversight environment helped you build a better benefit for your clients? And how do you think that investors in your funds can navigate this environment of heightened regulatory reform and its restrictions in a better way? There's been considerable amount of regulatory reform since the financial crisis, which has really impacted the dynamics of the marketplace. Some of them have been good and some of them have been challenging, not only for investors, but our clients. One of the things that I think has been really important as JP Morgan has been at the forefront of many of them, and we've really helped shape some of the outcomes of the reforms. One of the areas that I have spent a considerable amount of time on since late 2013 has been the reform that's been going on with the mortgage-backed security margining. And that really was a reform that was initiated by the Treasury Market Practices Group, or the TMPG, and it is to go into effect late in December of 2017. 
So the rule was basically put into place to help protect clients against counterparty risk on extended settlements on mortgage-backed transactions. So basically, when buyers and sellers are coming into the marketplace, purchasing agency pass-throughs and agency CMOs, they can be purchased for very extended settlements, 30, 60, 90 days. And it is part of the TMPG's goal to help protect the client so that should something happen to the counterparty or the investment firm, they are protected. And so there has to be margin collateral put up for each of these trades. Now, that is a good thing, but it also has created a significant amount of work for the client from an operational perspective, from technology that has had to be built on both sides of the fence, not only the asset manager, but also for the client. But it's one of the areas that, again, is a reform that is probably needed in the marketplace given what happened in the financial crisis, but it does put an extra burden until we work through some of these logistics. I think what I heard you say, Barb, that's key to my thinking is the importance of protecting clients. Regulation isn't done just to keep bureaucrats busy. It's to address potential problems. And certainly one of the problems that our regulators are very concerned about is liquidity, particularly within mutual funds. Mutual funds, as everyone knows, are designed to offer overnight liquidity, and yet particularly with bond funds, they may contain assets which require some number of days or weeks to liquidate. So the Financial Stability Oversight Council of the Treasury put forward some regulations on how we as mutual fund managers were supposed to manage our mutual fund liquidity. And being at JP Morgan, it's been very helpful for me to have a seat at this table and try to work with our regulators in order to ensure that the final regulations that come through are actually something that is practical and practicable and for the benefit of our clients. And some of the initial proposals coming out of FSOC, frankly, wouldn't have been practical in the market, but they've been willing to listen to us. We've worked with industry groups and amongst ourselves in order to design regulations which we think strengthen the ability of mutual funds to honor their obligations and hence keep this sector viable for our clients, protecting them against any future volatility. So yes, I agree. People don't like having more regulations to deal with. People don't like having to change the way they do business. But what we find here is that we can actually help shape the agenda for the benefit of our clients. And I think that's good for all. Yes, it is. I would agree. We've covered a lot of ground in a couple of these questions, and I think I've learned something. But I have to tell you that I cannot escape the fact that rates are so low. So if you agree, Steve, that we've built a better solution as an industry for clients, what are you hearing from clients about how they're dealing with current yield, duration, credit quality, liquidity issues? What are some of the real world trade-offs that they find themselves having to make? What are clients telling you is the most important consideration that they're dealing with? I think for clients, as I said earlier, the biggest hurdle they've gotten over is this notion that rates must rise significantly and fairly soon. And people have had to recalibrate their thinking to what if rates stay low for a long period of time? 
How will that affect my ability to generate income? How will that affect my ability to fund pensions and other obligations that I have? What we've learned is that therefore clients are more willing to increase the risk exposure to longer dated securities. If before you thought you should sell your intermediate bonds and hide in cash, a lot of that money is flowing back into the intermediate bond market. Getting back to my answer to your first question, core and core plus portfolios are seeing inflows. Likewise, pension managers who had been unwilling to add interest rate exposure to their portfolios at 4% on long credit are now, as we back up towards those levels, more willing to put money to work. In short, investors are willing to take marginal credit risk because they see accommodative central banks and on the margin more willing to take interest rate risk because they believe inflation will stay low for an extended period of time. And we're here to offer as many different strategies as we can to help them meet those income and stability needs. And I agree with Steve. I think we have seen clients that have become concerned with the low rate environment that we're in and how are they going to meet some of their obligations. I do think that there are clients that have been burnt, if you will, in some of the extended sectors and volatility in the marketplaces. And I do think that we will see more and more clients come back to the core and the core plus space as it offers, again, that foundation or that stability that they're looking for in this interest rate environment. You know, Barbara, this is a good point. When oil dropped from 100 to $40 and below a barrel, a lot of high-yield energy issuers were stressed and prices of their bonds went down a lot. So one needs to be very careful when one steps away from the safety of government bonds and into extended sectors. But what our clients have learned is you can't just say rates are low. Yes, the 10-year Treasury today is about 1.7%. And the math tells you that it can only rise to about 1.9% over the next year before it wipes out all of your coupon. That's a low rate. I get that. But it's not the only bond out there. A five-year single-A bond which would yield around two and a quarter, can rise all the way up to 3% over the course of the next year, at which point it would be an even shorter bond. So that offers a lot of protection against the potential for rising rates when they eventually come. It's really important to not just throw up your hands and say yields are too low, I don't know what to do, but rather to sort through the different sub-markets of the fixed income bond market and find the sectors that offer the highest risk-adjusted returns. Sounds like clients should get active in their fixed income core. You'll get agreement from us on that, Tom. Yes, for sure. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan Insights. You're welcome, Tom. My pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan Insights. If you found our insights useful, you can find more podcasts on other relevant fixed income themes on iTunes and on our website. The views contained herein are not to be taken as an advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any investment in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, 
but no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. It should be noted that investment involves risks, the value of investments, and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield may not be a reliable guide to future performance. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other EU jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong, by JF Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In India, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management India Private Limited. In Singapore, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan. The Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, number 330. In Korea, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Korea Company Limited, in Australia to wholesale clients only, as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients' use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada, Incorporated, and in the United States, by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated, both members of FINRA, SIPC, and J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2016, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. Recorded September 21, 2016.